hello and welcome everyone back to another episode of the Publisher Lab. I am Tyler Bishop alongside me, as always, Shelby King. Shelby, it's a busy week. It is a busy week. You are traveling all over the country this week. Uh, yes, New York and Orlando this week and Dallas next week. So. Wow, look at you all over. East Coast, the South, Texas, is Texas, Texas the South? Texas I don't th- is its own Texas place. is its own thing. I think actually there's probably people from Texas listening to this. I'm from Missouri, I'm from the Midwest, so I have a little bit of street cred, I feel like. I'm not typically, we're, we're located here in California, but I find that sometimes... Um, Californians are not so great at determining what is the South and what is the Midwest. Um, so, yeah, I think you're probably right. Texas is sort of its own thing. I'm just looking forward to eating some Texas barbecue. Oh, there's some good spots. There's some really good spots. Uh, you guys are in Dallas, right? Right. If we have any Dallas listeners, feel free to reach out to Shelby on Twitter at Adazoic and make some recommendations for her. Yeah, I'll keep my eyes peeled for those. Uh, The first thing I wanted to talk about, and it's something that we kind of talked about before, about um, a beauty vertical launching on Instagram. So Bloomberg, um, their network TikTok, which is launched on Twitter, they want to turn that into a full-fledged media brand. So it's like kind of a similar concept launching off of social media. Um, So it started last December when Twitter decided they wanted a lot more live video. Um, On top of live video, TikTok also creates tons of short videos that cover general news along with some business topics. Um, And they do target a younger demographic of 25 to 35 year olds, but they recently extended to a podcast and newsletter and their website is starting to develop. And they're actually, their following is only around 400,000 um, followers, which I kind of like seems like a low number to be able to launch something on, but like I also know nothing about, you know, what's considered like a great following on Twitter. Yeah, so I, I think, you know, when they, when people always talk about social media audiences, I think a lot of it always comes down to like quality over quantity. If you have a thousand like rabid followers, that's going to seem in the interact, it's going to seem bigger than a really large audience that's totally unengaged. That said, I think this kind of strategy, and we talked about it with Paul Kassar when he was on, um, of building on a platform and then maybe trying to extract that audience and and spread it elsewhere or attract it to other areas, I think that that's a strategy that we've seen throughout history publishers do. I mean, I think, you know, we're looking at these new platforms and, and kind of maybe squinting our eyes a little bit. Paul kind of changed my opinion about that a little bit, as we've talked about before, but um, I mean, you look at even something like Google search, how many publishers have built their businesses on the backs of Google search or, or look at all the publishers now that are pivoting away from Facebook that built audiences on Facebook that have found a way to survive. I mean, we could argue that Buzzfeed, which is this awesome brand now with news and a bunch of other things, you know, really leveraged the power of like the viral Facebook post a long time ago. And now they're this larger publisher. So I think if you're a smart publisher and you, you know your audience, I think you can you can start anywhere. Um, but yeah, the secret is really getting your audience to be your audience then. Right. Um, another thing I wanted to touch on, it's another live streaming type of thing, is ABC News and their focus to kind of um, expand their audience and distribution. So they've already launched ABC News Live in April. Um, their content is available on their website and their app along with Facebook Watch, and it could also be accessed on like the smart TV with Roku channel. Have you ever heard of Roku? Oh yeah, it's really popular. Yeah, and so they're looking to expand their audience 
through a number of free ad-supported streaming services and that they say that the key is to use platforms that are free for users to access. So do you think this is like a smart strategy? What are your thoughts on that? So I have actually a lot of really interesting thoughts on just this concept in general. Um, I think, you know, we're seeing the state of video. I mean, if that's a, a term, I, I think video style programming, which I would include television in, um, changing pretty considerably right before our eyes. I would, con I would almost drive it aching to whenever, you know, television and radio like kind of had this like split when television came along and it became more popular because generations like Generation X and I would say Generation Z and some of these, I would say basically anyone under the age of 40 is completely changing their, their the way that they consume video content. So the idea that you get a subscription to whoever your local cable, cable or satellite provider is and then that's how you get basically video-based content, I would say that that is, if it's not dead now, it's definitely on the way out. Um, and so now people are consuming video through their phone and through all these other sources. And so you're seeing all these major networks sort of kind of try to find ways to infiltrate and, and grow in these other platforms and other areas. And what I think is really interesting is you see these shows that you know are formed by independent publishers. I've used the show Hot Ones, for example, uh, many times before. Um, it's probably popular among certain members of our audience. Some people have probably never heard of it, but it's it's a show where celebrities eat progressively spicier hot wings with a host. That's from actually a town really close to where I grew up. So I there's like there's a certain part of me that's like I see that guy and he started this channel where he started you know getting guys on there eating these progressively spicier hot wings. Complex, which is an online media publisher, basically acquired the show and now it's published on their. YouTube channel, among other places. It was on before the Super Bowl this year. And I think if you're a publisher right now that does video or is considering doing video, if you're a brand, you have to look at it like this. There are these major publishers out there now, and the way that television shows used to be syndicated, your content m might be something that is worth syndicating on these all these different channels of video now. And I think right now we're in that wild, wild west where if you're a publisher that makes great content, Content is king, and and not in even in the traditional sense, but like, you know, look at the deals with the UFC or Time Magazine uh, being bought by Salesforce here recently. The amount of investments being made in this space right now are considerable, and they're for content providers. So, I mean, that's a long answer to the should ABC News be thinking about doing these, you know, types of engagements. Um, the answer is yes, they're trying to find their way and trying to make their business model work inside of these new platforms, but there's publishers out there that are listening to this podcast that fit that platform better than ABC does. I feel like there are new platforms popping up, like different streamings, everybody's cutting the cord, lots of changes happening. Yeah, and when you think about it, um, this, is, this is kind of that time when you see a lot of those transitions. It's really hard for me to predict which ones might be successful. You might be better at it than me of, of predicting some of these because you're, I feel like your generation is probably more on the cutting edge of some of these things and what's gonna ultimately be win out in all these. But either way, I think it's it's good for publishers because the basically how you win that platform war is on content. You see Facebook Watch, Instagram, they're all trying to find and attract like the best content creators to basically create shows on their platform so that you know, people will watch it and that it will pick up steam. Are there I mean, any are there any shows that you watch on any of those those platforms? Snapchat, Facebook, Instagram? Um, I watched 
I watch a lot on Snapchat. I'm not gonna lie, and I feel like almost ashamed to admit <laughs> admit it. it. Feels like for some reason, Snapchat doesn't come off as a highly like valid platform. I think in my that head. I think that's changing. I mean, maybe maybe it's just because we're in the publishing world, but I I don't view it that way anymore. Uh, I think there was a time whenever Snapchat was used as like the CD, you know, chat app. Um, but I feel like that that moniker has left it. I hope so, because I actually get a lot of content from <laughs> from Snapchat. Um, something I wanted to go over was Google's announcement of a new search strategy. Um, so the VP of search kind of bucketed out three um, main things that they're looking to do. So I figured I'll go over each one, do a brief overview, and kind of get your thoughts and how sure. um, that plays out for publishers. So the first one is that they wanted to... Well, they're calling them search shifts, so they're mm -hmm. shifting perspectives or shif shifting strategies, but they want to turn answers into journeys um, by personalizing the search journey. So research shows that people with, um, are conducting multiple searches over multiple sessions when they're trying to find things like a new job or planning a wedding or, um, you know, moving. So they're putting out these things called activity cards and um, improved, they're improving collections. So collections already exist and they allow users to save and organize content on their phones. Activity cards can indicate where you left off in searches. It can also show you previous pages and websites you visited during previous search queries. Um, and collections and activity cards are gonna play really closely together and were created um, to kind of just organize your space so when you are looking for a job you don't have to click on the same link like yeah. six times so how do you think that kind of affects publishers so i'm going to divide kind of things into a couple different areas here and uh, part of this actually spins off a conversation that i had with matt uh, ludwig from google um, because we had a publisher ask us basically all the concerns that you can imagine you would have as a publisher with this they had and they asked us these questions and so from, from a user perspective, all the changes that I've, I've seen, um, especially, especially related to this, look really promising. They look helpful. Um, using as someone that markets artificial intelligence for a living, um, I understand very much so the benefits of being able to use AI to understand the nature of questions, especially in progression, and user behavior to basically improve the way that you provide someone with answers or, um, or changes. And so I think that's really cool. And I think from a user perspective, Google search is about to get really, really good. And I think people are going to probably end up taking for granted just how value, just how much of an asset that Google search will be, both from a voice and search perspective. That said, if you're a publisher, you're probably thinking, well, if Google gets better and better at this, why would people come to my website? Why wouldn't they just use Google to, to answer all these different questions they have? And I think the the, the answer comes back to something that I've heard Google say many, many times that relates to search. They don't want people to spend lots of time in the search results. They want them to get their answers and they want them to leave. And I think there's a really big difference between somebody that's looking for an answer and someone that's looking for content. And I think as a publisher, you're a content provider. Content is king. And I think if you're a publisher and you're in the business of you know, trying to provide somebody with answers, you know, that's the business that Google is in and that's a tough business to be in. Now, your answers may be content, right? So a question about the law, for example, about you know, the California Data Protection Act, Google is not gonna be able to provide anyone that really wants an in-depth dive of that, that subject, 
a good answer in Google search. However, a website can provide a really good answer in that, and Google might be able to figure that out, and so the best answer for Google there is to direct someone to that information. So I think as a publisher, I think the thoughts that this is gonna be bad are probably overstated, and I think there's probably some really big opportunities here, and I think this is inevitable in a lot of ways. That's good, and that probably gives some people relief too to hear that this isn't a bad thing. Um, the second shift that Google is looking to do is from search queries to queryless discovery. So Google Food, which has 800 million monthly active users globally, will now become Discover, um, and it's going to appear in the mobile version of the Google homepage. Um, so there's going to be a couple of design improvements included and some user controls and capabilities. Um, but there's going to be a topic heading that's going to be an effective search query so readers can easily learn more about that specific topic. So it'll be easy for them to kind of read an article and be like, oh, hey, I want to learn more about that. Um, so users will also be able to follow topics and control the type of content that they want to see more or less of. I think that's pretty cool. Um... I'm, I'm not sure that that functionality is something that people are accustomed to maybe using Google for. Maybe that will change. Um, you know, one thing to always think about is when you hear Google making changes to things, I think we're always very accustomed to thinking like, well, when Google changes something, like everybody's just along for the ride. Google's failed with a lot of things in the past. You know, um, uh, you know Google Plus comes to mind and you know, uh, a lot of other projects. So I don't know, we'll see if this becomes something that people regularly use as a part of their mobile behavior or not. Um, the last one that Google, or last shift that Google's looking to do is from text search to visual, visual search content. So instead of searching words, Google images will analyze and detect objects such as landmarks and clothing. They basically just want to show more context around images and give users more information. I feel like they're actually already doing a similar thing. I've seen like that. I've seen some of this here recently. Yeah. I don't know if we're part of an experiment, maybe, or if they're already starting to roll a lot of this out. I know a lot of people have been talking about how it's kind of they're almost ripping off of like Pinterest and Snapchat. I know Snapchat just did a deal with Amazon. Um, if you search an image of a product, you could possibly find it on Amazon to buy, which I thought was a pretty cool move. So that was kind of the most lackluster of the shifts, I think, that well, they're doing. Well, what's really interesting about this is, and I, it may be something slightly different, so, so some of our listeners that maybe are way more into this than, than I am, which it's possible, I'm pretty into it, but um, uh, it could be something slightly different. Uh, did you happen to read the article? I think it was maybe in CNBC... MSNBC, I'm not sure which one it was, but it was a reporter was let into an internal Google search meeting where they discussed changes that they would be making to search results. Did you happen to read that? I didn't read it. I saw like a headline around there floating around. I, 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 I believe that it was probably in response to some of the political pressure here recently. I think they're probably trying to just provide a little bit more transparency into how they make decisions. I, I caught... They, were, they really wanted to highlight how data-driven they are about how they run experiments and things like that. Um, I'm not sure how much the, real, the actual population of the world understands about how Google search works, but I think they want people to have a better understanding of it. Either way, this seems to me like one of the changes that was discussed in the meeting that the reporter uh, talked about, which is basically providing more images as a part of search results, especially on mobile. And um, they, it was kind of a, just a little throwaway line that they had in the article, but they had said that the data had showed that 
images seem to help people quite a bit find the results they were looking for. And so it's just another reason why um, alt image tags, I think I read recently, were one of the most relevant factors for search image ranking. Um, and it's another reason why you want the rich data on all your images and your articles and things like that. Just Google search is always changing. So anytime you know uh, you have the ability to add rich data to your site or provide Google with information that's helpful, like alt image tags, things like that, uh, definitely do it. There's so many ways to scan your site now and see if you're missing some of that stuff. Um, just go and do it. Uh, it's super low-hanging fruit, in my opinion. Definitely something that publishers should take advantage of. Um, the last thing I have on deck today was um, USA Today launches a podcast um, with an augmented reality component to it. So it's a new podcast series called The City, and it's a long-form podcast that talks about um, power and corruptions and how they impact the cities. Uh, the first season focuses on Chicago in the 90s, and over a course of 10 episodes, it unpacks the political um, effects and corruption on a local level. I promise I'll get somewhere with this. <laughs> um, one episode highlights how like, the mob created an illegal dumping ground the size of a city block, and USA Today actually added an AR component that takes fans to the site of the dumping grounds as they existed in 1992. Um, it includes animations, archival photos, and some ambient sound. And I know there's a lot of work that gets put into AR and they had a whole tech team and something, but I kind of just figured it's a little food for thought on, for publishers on how they can use creative ways to really like interact with their audience and kind of do a full immersion on the content. Yeah, I, I like the concept, and I, I like the blending of different new technologies. I'm sure a lot of our publishers are listening to this and saying, I'm not starting an augmented reality podcast, Tyler and Shelby. You guys are just way too out in front on something like this. But And I agree. Um, you know, We run a successful podcast, um, and it's one of those things where uh, I don't see where AR is going to help us out. I, I could see how you know that, that particular podcast is helpful. That all said, I do really like this idea of USA Today, right? They've started this podcast. It's on like a, almost basically something that's completely different from their, their core stuff. But they, they realize that maybe they have an audience for something like this. And I think that this is really, um, you know, speaking to Paul Kassar's point, to Matt Ludwig's point, um, to pretty much everyone that was on the panel at Pubtelligence West about thinking about your, your business as a publisher as a product and uh, your audience as your customers. You know, think about what can you offer them. If I know a lot of evergreen publishers listen to this podcast, publishers that have made a living essentially by creating content that is always relevant in something like Google Search. Um, you're not pin pinholed into that business model any more than the USA Today is pinholed into being a, a newspaper or magazine um, or even a digital publisher. Um, and so I think it's worth thinking about. Okay, who is my audience? And it, even if I don't have a loyal audience, you are attracting people to your website every day. What types of people are those? And what other types of content, podcast, video, live streaming, live streaming, there's yeah. new stuff every day. You know, we talk about it a lot on this podcast. What is it that your audience, you could offer them that would be entertaining to them? And, you know, there's a lot of really great ways to engage them now. And I think it's time to think outside the box. Definitely. And I guess it's part of it is having to not be afraid to fail or realize that like sometimes it just doesn't work out and that's perfectly okay but I guess it's better to try and then find some results than, than not try at all. Yeah it's interesting you know something that Paul I think he might have said it on our podcast 
he wanted to say it actually in our interview up on stage, but he, he at the last minute he thought it was going to make him sound um, hard on publishers. But I, I think it was a fair point. When I asked him, you know, what is the greatest threat to publishers, he said, publishers themselves. And he didn't mean it from a standpoint of like publishers were going to intentionally harm their business or make a mistake. He meant that they were going to fall behind and fall behind not of the times or the technology, but they were they would stop trying to find ways to engage their audiences. And we, we know this from, you know, the machine learning experiments that we have exposure to. User behavior is shifting on almost a weekly basis, fundamentally. And, um, you know, the publishers that are finding ways to adapt will always be the ones that succeed. Well, good thing you listen to this podcast and you can hear all these cool things that are happening in the world. Yes, absolutely. And make sure you <laughs> tell your friends. So, um, you can leave us reviews on iTunes. Those things are so great for helping us grow the podcast. Um, the podcast keeps growing each and every week, so I'm assuming partially that's because you guys are out there doing a great job of sharing it uh, with your friends. And um, yeah, you can tweet at us at Azoic and send us in questions um, to Shelby and myself. Um, and yeah, I think everything has been going really great with the podcast and we hope that, uh, you continue to enjoy the content. And if you happen to be at Tech Munch in New York or FinCon in Orlando or... Declare in Dallas. Declare in Dallas or Pubtelligence in London or the Outdoor Bloggers Conference in Roanoke, Virginia or Lion Publishers in Chicago, Shelby or myself will be at every single one of those events throughout the rest of this year. And we hope that you will find some time to come and say hello.